Hey guys, it's Matt. Uh, thank you for joining. Uh, today's guest is me, Gary Stebbins. He's been a sales guy in the manufacturing industry for 48 plus years. Um, I've known him 10 of those years. I thought it'd be a good idea to bring him on the show and talk about his time uh, within the manufacturing industry and some of the experience he's had um, in regards to the evolution of manufacturing and any of the hurdles he's seen over the years. Um, I did want to mention um, just some housekeeping items that the building I'm currently in is having some maintenance done, so if you hear any weird noises, please excuse them. But without further ado, here's Gary Stebbins. Hey guys, welcome to Manufacturing Unscripted. I'm your host, Matt Rawl. I am joined today uh, with a longtime co-worker of uh, 10 years, Gary Stebbins. How you doing, Gary? I'm doing well, Matt. Good morning. How are you? I am doing well. Thank you. Um, so we brought you on today uh, with your, as far as, as far as long as I've known you, you've been in sales and manufacturing, and, and you have seen many things, and we want to get some stories from you. Um, so one of the first few things I usually like to ask is, can you talk a little bit about how you got your start in manufacturing? Absolutely. Um, and let me start by saying that I uh, appreciate the opportunity to share some of my history with you guys and uh, those that are listening to the podcast. And and um, so let me uh, kind of get started by uh, uh, telling you that, you know, I graduated from high school and uh, and then until uh, I graduated in 1970. And, uh, and then in 73, I kind of moved into um, the manufacturing side of things. But in that interim, I, I did do a lot of work in manufacturing. I worked at a couple of factories and so on and so forth. But my, my uh, start in manufacturing really got going in, um, 19, in 1973 when I moved up uh, to Ann Arbor, um, where I went to work for a machine tool manufacturer. At that time, a machine tool manufacturer was, uh, they were building big, huge uh, transfer lines, uh, dial machines, trunnion machines, all evolving around machining of heads and uh, engine blocks and transmission cases and those sorts of things uh, for the automotive industry. And um, so I went to work for those guys in 73, uh, spent a couple of years with them. Um, and then uh, over the next 48 years, uh, as as hard as that is to believe for me, um, I've basically been in manufacturing. Um, during that time, I've worked for five different companies, uh, all of which have been in manufacturing, uh, one of which included my own. Uh, I was a manufacturer's rep for about 10 years, um, but again, focused on capital equipment um, that directed primarily at, uh, the manu at manufacturing. And most of it was involved in the automotive side of things. Being here in, in Michigan and especially in the Detroit area, um, that you know over the years that has been a continues to be a very prominent uh, business segment. But uh, for me, starting out, I started out right in um, in it, working in with automotive manufacturers, and basically have kind of stayed in that realm uh, over the last forty eight years. So. Um, I've been involved in, uh, worked in different positions, uh, ranging from engineering to materials management, uh, director of special projects for a few years uh, in the machine tool side of things, um, worked in sales and marketing, and then uh, over the last 10, 12 years has been primarily um, sales oriented. Uh, so that's kind of my background and how I get started in all this. Yeah, that's, 
That's uh, impressive. I, I guess I didn't realize that. I, I was that old. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it takes you four minutes to tell your life story, so been around a little bit. But, uh, no, I, I guess I didn't realize that it was right out of high school for you. I knew I knew that you definitely had your own company. You know, we've talked several times about this. Yeah. Um, uh, and then, so, I mean, that's, what, 41? You said 48 years? Yeah. Of of just living in the manufacturing industry, and yep. it, it, oh, go ahead. Yep. No, I was just going to say it, it has been that environment. You know, I, I will say uh, that it you know probably seventy percent of it has been driven towards the automotive side of things, dealing with um, the 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 Fords, the GMs, Chryslers, and so on. Uh, and about the other thirty percent has been spread across a number of different industries and markets, uh, aerospace. Um, writing instrument industry, pumps and valves, plastics, a uh, little bit of everything. Yeah, and, and I've definitely worked with a few on those, and, and <laughs> I, I've mentioned before um, is that what's unique for you and that you've been in the automotive industry is that the automotive industry in terms of manufacturing is so cutting edge that being in that industry for as long as you are, I imagine it's changed, you know, you know from 1970 to you know, to now, you know, there's the, the leaps that they've made in terms of manufacturing. Um, so there's a couple of things I want to talk about, you know, in terms of like the evolution of manufacturing and kind of from your perspective, how you witnessed it and how you saw it grow. Um, and, and I gave you a little stuff before the show. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and one of the big things that we've seen, right, is assembly lines. You know, and and they're not miles long anymore. They're they're tending to be geared more modular. Yep. Well, I and and I I agree. I think the the biggest changes in manufacturing um, have been driven by the automotive industry over the years. Um, and you know, they've been motivated to move in lots of different directions because of you know the global markets, uh, competition, customer demands. Uh, you know what what customers wanted to see in their vehicles, and uh, you know they're surveying and they're uh, watching their markets all the time and, and trying to give customers what they want. But I think two of the major things that they needed to give customers were better quality vehicles, uh, and um, and and longevity in terms of the vehicles. And then pricing that could be competitive, and you know, against their competitors like, you know, the Toyotas and the Nissans and the Hondas and all those guys. But I think manufacturing throughout the country and the world has been impacted pretty significantly by by the automotive industry. They're very innovative, uh, very forward thinking, and of course, along the way, um, that means tons of changes for. You know, uh, suppliers to the industry, you know, machine builders and, and technology suppliers like ourselves here at Promess. Um, and I think, you know, when you look back, you know, you, we talked about a little bit, we, you and I have talked a lot about assembly and, and yeah. you know, the changes that have gone on. But I, I, I think if you look back um, into the late 60s, early 70s, you know, it was all big, long, dedicated lines, um, mm-hmm. huge, very expensive. Um, and and very uh, one product oriented. You know, I think yep. GM at that time had, um, you know, a four speed transmission. <clears throat> so they would have four or five lines spread across the, the country making four speed transmissions. And then, um, and these things were, you know, uh, maintenance hogs um, required lots and lots of human resources um, and, and lots of money. 
And um, so as time progressed and the customers started to want more, uh, the competition uh, offshore was giving um, customers more in terms of styles of vehicles, um, types of options within a vehicle like engines and transmissions and those sorts of things. Uh, the industry had to move on and, and it had to move towards um, smaller, more flexible, faster. Uh, they had to get a car to market quicker. I think the mm -hmm. average back when I was getting involved in it, it was, you know, six years from or seven years from uh, drawing board to something rolling off the assembly line. You know, now today it's it's uh, just almost under 24 months, yep. uh, roughly. Um, so that was a big driver for them. And it was, uh, uh, you know, the customers um, really, I think, have been, uh, again, their demand for choice and their demand for quality has um, put a lot of pressure on the automotive industry to get better and to get faster and lighter uh, in terms of, you know, the, the tech or the the size of the lines and with all the different vehicles being manufactured and the options that are available, everything's more s smaller volumes, more boutique type um, uh, platforms, if you will. I mean, GM comes out with three or four platforms every one or two years. Ford does the same thing. They're all doing it, uh, but they have to because that's where the market is going. Yeah, and it's funny because you, you bring that up and, and about how they're, you know, just uh, a maintenance you know, disaster, the long lines. But even walking through them, you know, the visually looking at the old versus the new, it's it's truly just night and day, right? It's, you have the, the old, old lighting, dirty floors, uh, just old machines, and then you have these new modular lines that are just, just clean, you know, light, uh, the light is, is, is very bright, you know, visibility is very clear, um, and and just the technology itself is just leaps and bounds um, better than what you see, you know, just across the aisle. Oh, I, yeah, I've been in some plants, um, you know, within the U.S. automotive manufacturing industry that exactly what you're talking about. I mean, you almost needed a miner's helmet with a light on it to, to, to get down through the lines and figure out everything else. And then <clears throat> they started to move into, on the, on the powertrain, uh, drivetrain side of it, with the new 5-speed, 6-speed, 7, 8, 9, 10 uh, uh, transmissions. Um, you walked into some of these plants, and one side of the plant was just, you know, from the 50s and 60s. Mm -hmm. And the other side was, I mean, it was so pristine that mm -hmm. you could eat off the floor. And mm -hmm. the equipment was uh, new and uh you know, the technologies that were going in were so far advanced over, you know, what were in the the early on lines, you know. Uh, one of the things we had talked about previously was hydraulics and pneumatics versus mm -hmm. uh, servo technologies. Well, um, you know, technology in general that's used in the production or the manufacturing of vehicles and the components and sub-assemblies, they've all evolved. Mm -hmm. uh, and it, they've evolved to be able to get better quality, better control, better traceability, reduce warranty costs, those sorts of things. And, you know, and, and honestly, Promus has, you know, played a large part of that, um, been involved in that heavily with the, you know, with our servo systems and so on and, and the things that we bring to the table. But, you know, as the lines went from, you know, long, very expensive, dedicated lines to the more modular, um, you know, the, 
the things that they require, um, smaller cells, they have to be more, um, be able to be more converted more uh, quickly and more easily. Uh, they have to have, be able to run various uh, iterations of products. Mm -hmm. The only way they can really do that is you know, like adding robotics and, yep. and cell concepts, you know, like we've seen and, and continue to see uh, from our customers. Yeah, every, I mean, everything needs more electric, right? More, really it comes down to they want more control. Exactly. You know, um, and, and electric products give you that. You know, and then you, you mentioned real quick, and I don't think we can talk about the evolution of manufacturing and not bring up robots, you know, in, sure. their, in their role. Um, yep. they've, they've really changed the landscape on, on how things are done and what we as humans are capable of doing. Um, you know, because you mentioned, you know, 60-year six, turnaround for a vehicle. You know, part of that new two-year turnaround is the fact that we are utilizing robots that can work, you know, 24-7, 365. Yep. You know, and, 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 and could, yep. go ahead. I'm sorry, it, it can be done on the manufacturing floor, it can be done in the development labs, it can be, does, you know, utilized in the product design uh, and process development. Uh, you're, you're absolutely right. Uh, robots have... The robotics has changed the way um, uh, manufacturers look at how they manufacture their product and what resources are needed to be able to uh, support those robotic applications and, um, and and the types of product that they're you know they're they're manufacturing in them. Yeah. You know, you get a, a cell that's got four robots in it, and they're making sixty percent of the the engine or the transmission, whatever it might be. It, it it's it's something to see for sure. And then there's, you know, from, from your perspective, because we have been involved in a few robotic applications, but, you know, the one, the one thing you hear about robots a lot in manufacturing is they're basically replacing an operator. And, and, and we've, we've heard contrary to belief that that's not necessarily true. You know, um, a lot of times robots are creating more jobs than they are replacing um, I, I agree a hundred percent. Yeah, it's it's not the it's not the um, the laborers of or the you know the working guys working on the lines that they were you know twenty years ago, um, but there's still resources required to um, you know to, to program the robots, set them up, um, get them parts. The only thing the robots are doing is uh, basically is taking the repetition uh, away from a human resource and putting it in a machine mode. Um, it's consistent part to part to part to part, vehicle to vehicle to vehicle. Um, and uh, it, you, you don't have to worry about, you know, somebody's perception of quality is this while uh, somebody else's perception of quality is that. And I think, <clears throat> you know, you, going to the robotics is, has really helped develop consistency, better quality, and greater throughput for the automotive guys. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yep. So I want to change speed a little bit. You know, we talked about the evolution of manufacturing. Now, obviously, we don't get there um, without having a few hiccups on the way. <laughs> you know, and, and I wanted to know if you could share, you know, any of, any of the bigger projects that you've been involved in and, and the hurdles that you've encountered and perhaps maybe, um, you know, what you saw and how, how things were, were corrected, course corrected, I guess is 
how I want to put it. Yeah, well, you know, I think um, I, I've been very fortunate uh, in in my in working within the manufacturing industry, and you know, again, seventy percent of that is driven towards the automotive. But uh, I've been very fortunate to uh, work with um, multiple levels of um, the organizations at at, at the major um, automotive manufacturers. And <clears throat> you know, if you can, if we we try to get a glimpse of what's coming, you know, down the next 24, 36 months in terms of vehicle platforms, uh, what kind of transmissions or engines or power trains are these guys going to have going forward? And then, you know, then as that rolls out of develop product development into um, basically when it gets released to become a production line, uh, and we want to make sure that we're, uh, we're understanding what those requirements are, you know, so for, for Promess, uh, what that's meant is that um, uh, the challenges as these programs started to grow was being able to handle the volumes uh, because they were, you know, the hydraulics were being replaced, pneumatics were being replaced, um, the servo controls, uh, ability to control the process using the servos uh, was growing. Um, I mean, it was growing very rapidly. And so um, starting back in 1999-2000, when uh, GM first looked at their, uh, I think it was their six-speed transmission, um, they had a problem and they needed a, a quality issues and warranty issues and they needed a, a, a way to, to get better control over their processes. And um, we were uh, fortunately involved with um, their manufacturing engineering groups to help them um, be part of that uh, solution. And... So one of the first challenges was, okay, um, you know, we're going to make a, a transmission, a six-speed transmission. Well, there's going to be 40 press systems. Well, you know, to accommodate and be able to build 40 press systems was, um, we had not done that before. So mm -hmm. we had to put systems in place within Promess to be able to handle the volumes. And then that and that led to understanding then or learning what our customers' requirements were and expectations, both written in terms of their specs and then the unspoken expectations which is when it hits the floor i have to be as a as a manufacturer i have to be able to see this 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 and this and it's just the detail we can't put into the specifications I, those were two of the really big challenges was uh, being able to step up to the volume uh, and then making sure that um, we understood what their expectations were um, and another key part of it was once we started to ship this product into the um, uh, to the machine builders, uh, it was then uh, it, we had to support it and uh, right. with startups and um, on occasion spare parts or um, but we needed we needed people to be able to do that and our applications engineering group just you know uh, basically exploded not by virtue of the fact that. We were, there were all these issues that we had to deal with. It was just based on the sheer volume of presses that we were producing that we had to support at the builder, and then once it went from the builder to the to the GM plant, um, we had to be there. We wanted to be there. Um, so along the way, we we've, we've been involved uh, with all the major uh, manufacturer OEMs uh, and the powertrain, drivetrain, suspension um, segments of their vehicles. Uh, right from day one, uh, before it hits the, it actually before it hits manufacturing engineering to start sourcing it. Mm -hmm. um, 
so th those were the I, I think those were the three um, the, the three big challenges we had early on was the uh, just to briefly recap was the uh, ability to um, understand what was being required the the capacity to handle the volumes and then the support that has been the cornerstone of um, of our relationships with <clears throat> with our customers on, on that side of the business. Yeah, and I, I think I think obviously the support is, is still the big one. And, and from my experience, it's not it's not so much the that there's an issue. It's just more that we want to be there. You know, so we we want to be involved as much as we can, and we want you know just just to learn and to make sure that you know obviously the the project is a success. Yeah, um, because well, you know, and one of the things know, that happened was it was interesting because as you know, in, in 2000, when we started shipping uh, six-speed transmission, um, you know, um, equipment to build the six-speed transmissions and then the seven-speed and eight-speed, uh, you know, between 2000 and 2005 or six, whatever it was, um, you know, the automotive industry was going through, you know, uh, minor ups and downs. You know, volume would be up, then volume would be down. Volume would be up. Well, as all this new technology is coming in and the new methodologies for building these lines uh, and and the components or the systems that go across it, you know, the, the complexion of the, or the, you know, the buildup of the workforce or the, com the configuration of the workforce changed. It became more technical. Um, and so, uh, you know, enough people weren't coming out of schools fast enough to be able to handle the, the engineering side of things. So they were, the automotive was always scrambling for engineers and, you know, going between companies to support, you know, the need for engineering. Um, and it was one of those things where um, as that demand grew bigger, um, we would, <laughs> Promise was having to change to be able to support those changes. So mm -hmm. when it came to service and support, they're calling us to come in and help them uh, because their engineers don't really know what they need to be doing with the with the technology. Yep. Yeah. No, I I agree. Um, so so I got I got one more question for you, and it wasn't on the list, but I know you're you're pretty involved in in this type of future applications and. I wanted to get your thoughts on the future manufacturing in terms of the electric vehicle and what your thoughts on that are. Well, um, it's coming. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's well underway. Um, and I think that, you know, we, we've been fortunate in that as we trans, as the industry trans, um, transferred from or migrated from conventional powertrains and drivetrains and that sort of thing to the hybrids, mm -hmm. the electric vehicles, the hydrogen fuel cell vehicles. Um, we, we knew the people and had been working with the people that were involved in that transition uh, since 1999. And we were fortunate in that the job we'd done for them over that time period uh, kept us involved um, from our expertise relative to our technologies, but also our expertise relative to how each of these manufacturers build their vehicles. And again, back to the expectation things, what, what do they want from their suppliers? And, um, and, and so we've now been shipping product 
for applications for electric vehicles on you know for conventional cars uh, SUVs uh, now we're involved in the uh, in the, the crossover vehicles and the trucks um, yep. you know the the pickup trucks and, and the smaller versions of those uh, but we're also getting involved in the um, uh, in the semi the heavy vehicle the um, yep. uh, transportation side of it for um, trucks and and uh, that sort of thing and in doing that um, it, the momentum has been has been unbelievable it's it's been very very um, powerful in the, the time period that this is all occurring in is just a fraction of time that the whole industry has been around and you know you hear guys like GM and Ford and um, Volkswagen uh, telling everybody that you know by 30 2035 or 30 that half their fleet's going to be electric and by 35 they'll be 100% electric um, it's on it's it's on the way the thing that is surprises me is how fast mm-hmm. the technology is developing for those for those power modes you know for the yeah. The drivetrains and the, you know, it it just it's moving at lightning speed. It's um, crazy and, when you put a lot of money towards something, how quickly it can get developed. Oh my gosh, um, you know, for GM to come out and say by 2035 they're going to be, you know, 50, 70 percent of their fleet will be auto or will oh, be electric. Yeah. Uh, you know, and in there is also coming the autonomous vehicles and all, all that sort of stuff. And wow, um, you know, it's 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 amazing to for all of us to sit and watch the change and how rapidly it's occurred. Well, companies Uh, like Tesla, right? They're, they're definitely pushing the industry as much as industry fights, you know, they're, they're pushing the envelope and forcing others to either get on board or fall behind. Absolutely. Yep. And, and Tesla has been a, um, has been a challenge for quote unquote, the Detroit Mm -hmm. uh, industry. Uh, the big three or the yep. big four, whatever you want to call it anymore. Um, but they have established a presence. Mm-hmm. They are being successful at it. Yeah, they've had a lot of stumbling blocks, but, you know, they're starting to turn it on. And look how rapidly the, um, our industry has changed to accommodate that. Yep. It's amazing. Yeah, no, for sure. So, all right, Gary. Well, um, that pretty much wraps up everything that, I want to discuss today. I, I can't thank you enough for joining the podcast today. It's it's really been a, a pleasure, um, and and I definitely hope to have you on again in the future. Uh, is there anything you wanted to say in closing, or anything you wanted to add? Yeah, I, well, just first of all, thank you for the opportunity. Yeah. I, I probably get a little bit long winded, and I apologize for that. But no, I've got a lot of passion for for the manufacturing side of it. Thank you. And I and I you know I think that. Um, lots of changes are underway, and um, for the next uh, for for technology suppliers like Promess, um, we're going to be busy, um, and it it the opportunity to be involved in this goes back uh, 20 years, um, and the job we did 20 years ago has kept us in a position to be where we're at now, working with these guys, and we're, we're fortunate in that respect. On the other hand, in concert with that, I should say, is that the organization has accommodated it. Um, we've we've grown, we've added people, uh, we've um, we, we, we're keeping up with the um, expectations of our customers. 
uh, and that's across the board, not just automotive, but across the board. You know, we've got our mechanical guys like you, and we've got our electrical guys, and manufacturing and applications engineering. And as part of all that is also the software side of it. And um, all, from my perspective, Promus is firing on all cylinders, so to speak, and to keep up with this and mm-hmm. to keep our um, satisfying our customers' needs. All right. Again, thank you, Gary, for joining the podcast, and thank you, everyone, for listening. If you like what you heard, don't forget to rate and review. Thank you. Thanks, Matt. This podcast was brought to you by Promise Incorporated, hosted by Matthew Rawl, produced by myself, Lauren Rawl, mixed and edited by Ben Parsons. Please make sure to subscribe and rate this podcast. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach us at podcast at promisinc.com.